for what God's setting us up for in the days ahead. I thank you as well. Would you turn in your Bible to Hosea chapter 12? Hosea chapter 12. Now you may, you may think, okay, Chris, Shane did a great job last Sunday, and he did. I heard the sermon. It was great. Why don't you just stop now while you're ahead in Hosea? It's a temptation to be sure. It's a temptation. We kind of hit this peak, and, and Shane is bringing to us this picture of God and his love for his people. His love for his people in a way that, that is expressed in this familial relationship that for some of us can be a hurdle to understand. It's a love expressed as the perfect love of God as our Father. The perfect love of God as our Father. And Shane did a wonderful job helping us to understand that and to even sense and to feel the heart of God for us as his people. So at the end of such a mountaintop experience... Why would we traipse back through the valley of despair? Because God has something more to say to us as his people. I gave a little bit of a hint, and I think worship actually gave us a bit of a heads up. I think God is calling us not to give up wrestling for the grace of God. Let me ask it this way. How's your life going right now? How's life going? Now, my assumption is that, that there's kind of two different responses that would come to that answer to that question. Life is going terribly. It's tragedy upon tragedy, and it's stacked, and that's what comes to mind. Life is not going the way that I've been told or sold that it would. Life is terrible. Then you'll have some others on the other side of it. Life is terrific. It's going well. Oh, look at what the Lord is providing. Our family is young and he's blessing us with children. And oh, look at this marriage. And there's this relationship that's been restored. And oh, there's these terrific things that are happening. And that's kind of two ends of a spectrum, isn't it? And yet in the church, we know that those are two very dramatic ends of a spectrum because there is a lot of life in between. As a matter of fact, our life will bounce back and forth. It will vacillate between those two extremes sometimes within a day. Sometimes within a phone call or a text, do not disturb is the temptation that we are facing in our spiritual life. I don't want to face the highs and the lows anymore. I'm tired of the roller coaster. It's making me sick. Let me off. It's making me spiritually ill. Let me off. And here's what I want us to see today. God's word shows us no matter your circumstances, no matter your perspective, no matter the highs or the lows, no matter the tragedies or the triumphs, you are where you are right now in life because of the grace of God alone. You are where you are in life by the grace of God alone. Let's begin reading. I'm actually going to dip back into Hosea chapter 11 by one verse. Hosea chapter 11, verse 12. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. And the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. And they multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt, the Lord's indictment of Israel and Judah, 
The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. We're going to pause there just to begin to understand what it is that Hosea is after in the hearer and what Hosea, by extension, God is after in our hearts today. I mentioned that we were on the mountaintop last week with Shane. And here, all of a sudden, we hear another indictment against the people of God. Can't that be discouraging? I think I've preached about this before, but there are times that I'll just let Stephanie know, hey, uh, I could use no observations on my life right now. I've got a few of those in the fire, and I'm just working through those things. I'm not trying to, to be funny about that. Sometimes it's just I am overwhelmed by the things that God is after in me. Maybe you've had that same experience, and you're just like, I would like a timeout, please. Can I put myself in timeout? That would be nice. So here, after experiencing the love of God in such a palpable way, there's another indictment that comes. That, that, that can be so discouraging for us. But Hosea takes us back to an interesting account in Genesis. I'm, I'm going to read it for us here. Genesis chapter 32 is where this account is captured for us. The life of Jacob spans quite a bit of the book of, of Genesis. It's where uh, Israel is born out of. He, he is renamed as Israel. And there are about half of the book of Genesis is dedicated to his account in a variety of ways. But I want to start with Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. It says this, The same night he arose, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Now this is not a moment where we're going to call people forward with hip pain to wrestle with God and receive healing. This is a moment where we need to face the reality of life and something that I think that we're often tempted to. 
we're tempted to stop wrestling in faith for what God has for us. Have you ever faced that moment? Let, let me make an assumption of where we can find it. Now, now, I've been with some friends over the last few days, and, and it had a few reminders of this. Ella and I were out yesterday in the, in the yard working on pulling up some stumps. So if you see me moving a little slow this morning, my back is seized up. I'm not limping for an illustrative effect. It's for real. I'm just old. That's a weird amen, but I know it came from that back corner, and that's like that section. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> it's a spirit of sarcasm. It's my people. We were striving to get something out of the ground. Ella got to use a sawzall for the first time as we were cutting some of the roots yesterday, and it was shaking her at first. So she took hold of it and wrestled that thing down. That's not what I'm talking about. Last night we were out with some friends and we went to a restaurant and found out it was going to be a two-hour wait. And so then we were trying to make a decision and figure out where it was that we were going to go that wasn't going to be too disappointing that caused a, a conflict for the host family because that's always weird to watch as the guests, right? Yes. Yeah, that's always weird. That's not the kind of wrestling I'm trying to talk about, wrestling to make a decision of where to go to eat. It's not the kind of wrestling that dads love to do with their kids on Saturday morning on the, on the big bed in the, in the parents' room where all of a sudden the, the sheets are off the bed and then you go eat cereal while mom yells at you for getting all the sheets off the bed because you've been wrestling in there. That's not the kind of wrestling I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of wrestling that happens in a marriage that isn't going the way that you thought it would on your wedding day. I'm talking about a marriage that is loveless or even a love life together that is painful and doesn't look like what the world tries to sell you. I'm talking about the person who is in a job that they can't get out of because they need to provide and yet it's not fulfilling or it is actually toxic for their soul. I'm talking about the kind of wrestling that we're called to as believers Going to God over and over again for that child. I'm talking about the kind of wrestling for that single that wants to be in a relationship. I'm talking about the, the kind of wrestling that wants to see restoration in that relationship with somebody else, even just a friend. And it's been years, but neither one of you will take the first step to make a phone call. That's the kind of wrestling I'm talking about this morning. And how easy it is for us to just tap out and say, I am tired of wrestling. See, this morning is not about us learning how to pin God down to our will. It's a call to keep wrestling in faith. The challenge that we face in a passage like this is there seems to be this mixed metaphor that begins to be introduced. As we'll continue through the chapter, we'll see that he begins to blend the story of Jacob and of, of Egypt. And it's like, wait a minute, who are we talking about now? We are talking about us. We're talking about me. We're talking about you. We're talking about your family. We're talking about your friend group. We're talking about your relationship with one another. And more importantly, we're talking about your relationship with your God. What are you walking through today that feels like it's on that tragic and terrific spectrum of life that you've been tempted to just give up on? 
Where is it that God wants to have an encounter with you? For many of us, it'll happen at that moment of salvation when we are radically transformed. But if we're honest with one another, over the lifetime of following Jesus Christ, we will have many Jabbok encounters. Oh, we'll have many of them. They'll come at different seasons or stages of life. They'll come through the pink slip that you receive or the email that all of, it says, all of a sudden says, this is why you're locked out of your computer. Those are the moments of life when it's so easy to do one of two things. Begin finding something else to fight for you or to quit wrestling in the first place. And God is calling us to something else. And he uses Jacob as a way for us to understand that. Jacob lived down to his name. I remember a few months ago we were doing baby, baby dedications, and, and perhaps you've noticed this as well. There are some strong baby names coming through this church. Watch out. They're going to wrestle with you. I always love to ask, what does that name mean? Especially when I hear a new name that I, that I don't understand. And you just think, oh God, help them live up to that name. What a beautiful picture. Oh, that, that's a great name. Oh, I didn't even know that. And you hear those types of stories and it's wonderful. You find out about their family. You find out, I never knew. It just sounded cool to me. It's like, good luck with that, right? I mean, so oftentimes we think about the names of children. We just think, God, help them to live up to that name. Here's the thing. Jacob lived down to his because Jacob's name literally means grabbed by the heel. Why? Because he grabbed his twin by the heel as he's wrestling in his mother's womb for a place of prominence. In the Hebrew, his name actually meant something else, manipulator or deceiver. If you're here and your name is Jacob, don't live down to your name. But how many of us as believers try to take the place of prominence and providing for ourselves, of manipulating God, or deceiving ourselves by thinking we can deceive Him as to what's going on in our heart. So it's not just about the Jacobs in the room. It's about each one of us. It's about each one of us seeing a, a picture being held up because Jacob becomes Israel. Israel becomes those that Christ comes and gives his life for. That it goes to all of the world, to the Jew and to the Gentile alike. And so God's word is speaking to us today. He's just using the word Israel. What if he put in the word Chris? What if he put in the name Mark? What if he put in the name Sarah? Or your name here? We're called to live up to something. But you see, in this account in Genesis that Hosea points us back to, we see where Jacob the manipulator has an encounter with God the mansmith. He is going to shape and mold Jacob. So from the moment of birth to his manhood, Jacob plays this role of the crafty conniver. There's not time to even just try to get into all of the details of that today. He clutched onto Esau's heel, trying to steal his birthright, 
than in life and manipulating Isaac for the blessing that was intended for him. And yet in this encounter, in these nine verses in Genesis chapter 32, we see something where Jacob, even in the midst of his longing for acceptance and looking in all the wrong places for it, that God would bestow the precious gift of acceptance to Jacob. And he would mark him for the rest of his life by that encounter. See, when we receive the gift of God's acceptance through Jesus Christ on our behalf, when we receive that precious gift, what it allows us to do is let go of trying to manipulate others for an acceptance that only Jesus can provide for us. It allows us to let go of trying to cajole one another in our relationships to say, I need to make sure that the the flow of acceptance is flowing to me freely. So I'm going to manipulate these circumstances. I'm going to make sure that, that I'm in a place where I can receive freely. And God says, do you know the best way to receive my acceptance? There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ, my son. It's through his blood on your behalf. But Jacob is in the midst of this moment, and I think that there's something for us to hear here today, to be called to, that I believe will be strength for the weary one. I think it will be a a caution to those who are experiencing the the wonderful moments of life right now that that may be equipped for the moments when tragedy strikes. In other words, if your life is going wonderfully, hear this as a message that is letting you know how it is that you should respond when life is not going the way that you expected. We can be equipped. We have everything that we need to be equipped for life and godliness through His Word. So we don't look at this and just go, well, this message isn't for me today. Look at the bounty of my life. This message is for you today. So that you might know how to care for your brothers and sisters sitting around you. So that you might be prepared that your family doesn't see you shaken by the circumstances of life. Because there is nothing in this world that can shake the acceptance that Jesus Christ purchased for you. So we can all be ministered to in this moment. You know, when when we see Jacob, we realize that throughout his life, There was something that just never changed. He was a very willful person. He he had to be the one in charge. He had to be the one coming out on top. He had to be the one that was always getting his way. It's It's a distortion of real life, isn't it? It's a terrible gift to have, demanding our way, manipulating others to get it, becoming somebody who is just ungovernable in life. I mean, we know these people, they become competitive or combative. The power game is called control, in charge at all costs. And the price is high when it comes to relationships with other people. But you know, one of the costs of that kind of lifestyle is missing the blessing of God. It's missing the guidance of God. It's missing the peace of God. Let's explore this just for a moment. At the end of chapter 11, at the beginning of chapter 12, we read that Israel as a nation is playing the part of deceiver. They're playing the part of deceiver. 
They're making treaties with other nations like Assyria and Egypt. Why are they doing that? Because they're giving into the fear that God is not enough. And we've talked about this as a theme throughout the book of Hosea. The fear that God is not enough. And, and I think that there are times in, in a variety of situations we'll face this as a church. We'll kind of have this fear, new fear unlocked, God is not enough. Maybe there's a few places that shows up. I was having lunch with some friends on Friday and, and one of them was sharing that they're working through this new season with their child. And, and, and for both the husband and the wife, they're walking through this moment and these new fears are being unlocked, but it's not the same for both of them. Except it points to one. Because as we were going around the table and as, as one individual would share after another, we all kind of came to the conclusion, you know, we're all actually learning the same lesson right now. I'm learning what it looks like that being finite is not a sin. It was how it was created. Being finite is not a sin. And as we were talking around the table, we all realized this is pointing to the same thing. It's, it's different circumstances, but what it's unlocking is, is God enough for what I'm walking through? Is God enough that I, I can't produce everything that my mind can produce? I can't actually accomplish in the number of hours in the day. But is God enough for that? Yes, he is. So the parents walking through new circumstances in life, to the couple that is learning what it looks like in the midst of conflict for it to be something that's redemptive instead of something that just tears one another down. You want to talk about a moment when there's a fear unlocked that God is not enough? What about that moment when you realize, we've said everything we know how to say to each other and nothing's changed? Is God enough for that moment? Yes, he is. But that child, that child that looks like you, talks like you, smiles like you, thinks like the other parent. I don't know how to connect with that child. Wait, that, that child is expressing doubts about their faith. Wait, that, that child is, doesn't have faith. Wait, that child doesn't text back now. Is God enough for that moment? Yes, he is. What about the diagnosis? Is God enough for that moment? The lifetime that you have left won't look like you expected. Is God enough for that moment? What about when the checkbook balance dips below that number you've had in your head that's the red line? Is God enough for that moment? We can keep going. You see, the circumstances may change, but the fear is the same. And so is his being enough. How do we walk through that then? By the grace of God, in faith, keep wrestling. By the grace of God, in faith, keep wrestling. 
Not because you're going to pin God down. Oh, no. But if there's honey in the rock, squeeze out every drop of grace that he has for you in that circumstance. You know, there, there's a different... There, there's a, I was wrestling through this this week, so I might as well just do this in front of you. Sometimes we go through circumstances in life and we like, I want to learn every lesson that I can so I never have to experience that again. God, teach me everything that you have for me so I never face this again. There is, that is not a promise in Scripture. But he'll teach you everything that he can in the midst of those circumstances. See, I think that we walk through trial at times saying, God, do what you need to do so we can get back to what I need. And we neglect the fact that whatever that trial is, is actually more grace on your life. I recognize the difficulty of what I'm saying. I recognize the temptation and maybe even the chorus of yeah buts that are happening in your head at this moment. Is it okay if just for a moment I, I don't have to deal with all of the things that say, yes, it's right to put healthy boundaries in place. Yes, this doesn't mean that all of forgiveness means that there's no boundaries anymore and it's just complete acceptance. Is it okay if I don't have to get into every nuance of those types of things just for a moment so that we can see that there's a principle in God's word that in faith he will provide the strength for you to keep wrestling in the midst of your circumstances. And that is actually his grace upon you. So how about we flip the script a little bit? What about for the children whose parents don't seem to understand? Is God enough for that moment? Yeah. His is the word that's faithful from one generation to the next. This is when those moments really begin to rub, don't they, that our degrees of glory that we're being changed into don't line up with one another. Not within a marital relationship, not even within a house, not between households, not within a church. And so there are all kinds of opportunities in this life to go through circumstances where we can receive the grace of God. Like I said, there's a lot of life in that spectrum between the tragedies and the triumphs of life. Where is God calling you today to wrestle more to receive the grace that he has for you? You know, there are all kinds of things that are told to us in Scripture how it is that we can impede the grace of God. Well, we can be arrogant. We can trust in our own ways. We can lean on our own understanding. We can go about life trying to make treaties with this vice or that one, looking to other nations to provide. There are all kinds of ways that we can impede the grace of God. Do you know what this story tells us? There's a way that you can receive it. Keep wrestling. Keep wrestling for the grace of God. Now here's what the challenge is in this moment. This is not about your ability to accomplish something. I want to make sure this is clear. This isn't a call to a new form of gracious legalism. This is a call to stay in the fight through the faith that he provides, by the grace that he provides keep wrestling. This is not some new call to performance that you're going to be able to accomplish something on your own. 
No, as a matter of fact, Hosea points us to what happens when we try to accomplish things on our own. It says this, they feed on the wind. Oh, how nourishing the wind is. For plants, not for his people. Other scriptures tell us about the wind. Who, who can know where its direction is going to go from the east or the west? Why would we look to the wind? For what only God can provide. And yet, how often in our lives do we feast on the wind when we're facing those trials and we're tempted to just give up? I'm tired, God. There's grace for you in that moment. There's grace for you in that moment. And here's the important thing. In our community groups, in our relationships with one another, where is it you can encourage the person sitting next to you or around you right now to keep wrestling? That's the kind of church we should be. That's the kind of church that we should be. Oh, I've got to keep going, y'all. There are two critical moments in his life that Jacob sought God and heard from him. It's what Hosea 12 and verses 4 and 5 is, is pointing us to, where he strove with the angel and prevailed, seeking his favor. But here's a bit of that indictment back to us. So the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Just not miss what's happening in the language here. God, Yahweh is how we'll often refer to him, is the one that met Jacob. Israel's serving gods, lowercase g. Not Yahweh. And Hosea is asking him, how's that working out for you? Are those gods returning you to the favor of the Lord? So this is the idolatry that's kind of been this, this subset of things that, that God is after in his people. This idolatry that's kind of been there like this little gross muck fire in, in, throughout the book of Hosea. This idolatry, how are those gods working out for you? Are they helping you to return? No. But look what God does when he wrestled Jacob. I mean, can you imagine? It's the weirdest wrestling match in history. I wonder if Jacob at one point kind of wondered, like, God, would you get this guy out of here? Like, it never says exactly when it was that Jacob realizes that this is the Lord of hosts. That he's wrestling with. I wonder if he prayed to the one he was wrestling with to get the one he's wrestling with out of his way. And you know what? That's how we can pray at times, isn't it? Lord, remove this burden. That burden is me. I have grace for you in that burden that removing that burden wouldn't provide for you. I have faith for you through that burden that removing that burden wouldn't reveal to you. Do you know that increased grace and increased faith are part of the blessing of walking through those moments? I mean, we love to sing about it like, Lord, pour out your grace on me. Not through that burden. No, 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 not that, not that one. I like waterfalls. Oh, he's providing. Not always in the way that we think is best but always in the way that he knows is best. 
I don't even have a clue where I'm at in my notes. I love what John Bloom, an author with Desiring God, says about Jacob's encounter with God. This is quoting him. What do you really need from God right now? What blessing do you want from him? How badly do you want it? God will meet you in your anguish. He will meet you in your fear. And he will meet you in your uncertainty. But he, not, he may not meet you in the way that you expect or desire. Your greatest ally, ally may show up looking at first like your adversary. Inciting you to wrestle with him. So remember Jacob. There are blessings through the wrestling. You may not need soft words of comfort. You may not need to be left alone with your thoughts. You may not need more sleep. You may not even need a healthy hip. What you need is God's blessing. So when God calls you to wrestle with him in prayer, it's an invitation to receive his blessing. Stay with him. Don't give up. Don't let him go until he blesses you. He loves to bless that kind of tenacious faith. And you will come out transformed for his glory. Let's look at verse 7. We are blessed by the grace of God. A merchant in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but, but I am rich. I have found for myself wealth. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. So for Hosea, practicing mercy and justice, waiting on God continually out of necessity, should produce a vigilance that is completely countercultural. But his people had become the wrong kind of countercultural. They had become counter to the kingdom culture of God. And he gives them kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek blessing in Hosea 12, 7. He says that they are a merchant in whose hands are false balances. It's like saying a, a cunning Canaanite. It's redundantly repetitive. He's, he's using this play on words to say that there is a disloyalty to God that had produced dishonesty in daily life. How many of us have ever gone through this self-checkout? They can be the best or they can be the worst, right? How many of us, when we're putting a, a, a thing of bananas on the self-checkout at Aldi, are going to just like, you know, hey, let me, yeah, I'm going to pay a little extra for those. I'm going to put my thumb on the scale. I feel like they could use the money. How many of us do that to ourselves? None of us. None of us do that in that moment, do we? We rarely tip the scales against our favor. What we are trying to do, and then what he's after, is to say, this is the type of deceit or manipulation. They're trying to say, look, I've provided all this wealth for myself. Look at what I've done. Minimal effort. Look at the riches it's providing. And God's saying, I see the weight on the scale. You're using false scales. You're tipping the balance in your own favor, and you're actually walking out of my favor by doing so. When you are rejoicing in those triumphs of life, what have they come from? Have they come from your great effort? No, they've come from the blessing of the Lord. When you experience those moments 
Perhaps it's because you've I'll turn that off. When you're experiencing those blessings, isn't it God that provided you the ability to do all of that in the beginning? Don't look away from the source and let the blessings become the source. Whatever you have is by the grace of God. Verse 9. I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days appointed of the feast. I spoke to the prophets It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife. And for a wife, he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. I don't know what was going on with Hosea at this moment. I can't speak to his mindset. I can't speak to how these words were coming to him, what what that conduit looked like as, as God is delivering a message to him for the people. It doesn't really follow a flow that we would say is is writing yourself clear. It's not the best way to present information if you're speaking because they begin to there begins to be this mixture of metaphors and these people that are mentioned and all of a sudden they're sheep and how, where did that come from? What's happening here? Well, there's a pattern that's being repeated. In the original language, there's actually a pattern that's being repeated, and Hosea uses a very specific word that will call Israel to attention immediately. Because what he's using is now, from the story of Jacob, he introduces the message of Moses. And this repetition, he's saying, Moses is the one who has been keeping and mediating this covenant that you are under, the Mosaic covenant that you are under, to be the people of God. And yet, there is a sheep that are wandering here. You are wandering away from the one who mediates it. And if if you've been a believer for long, if you've been in the church for long, when I use the word mediator, what you should begin to think of is Christ. The great shepherd of the sheep. The one we were just rejoicing in as we talked about elders and deacons in the church, that Christ is the one who is the head of the church. Christ is the one who mediates a new and better covenant. So what these verses are pointing to is not a well written prose or the ways not to deliver biblical prophecy. These verses are pointing to Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Jesus was exiled through Egypt in his young life. His family was exiled and went through Egypt. So all of a sudden, the pattern of Israel's history, the pattern of sin Jesus enters into that as this mediator, 
of the new and better covenant. Jesus enters into that. There's this mediation that happens. He is the one who is going to go after lost sheep. He is the one who is going to gather for himself a people that will be led. There is this moment where even Christ himself wrestles. Would you take this cup from me? You have a Savior who can recognize exactly what you're facing right now. It's kind of why I asked if it was okay if we set aside some of the things that are very real things that we should talk about. That community in the church, leaders in the church can help you sort through when it comes to consequences of people's actions and, and safe barriers and, and ways to serve your family well. But what we're talking about right now is this relationship with God. And we don't set up barriers with Him. He'll clear them but we don't put him in place because he enters into that and he knows exactly what you're walking through right now. That wrestling that he's called you to, he's done it perfectly. And in faith, through his grace, he'll provide it for you to wrestle, the strength to do so. This blood guilt that's put on the people, he'll pay that. He'll pay that with his blood. Perfectly. He'll be the one that... that enters into your greatest need and provides in ways above and beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. So the pattern that we see repeating itself, the reason that, that I want to be careful not to go from one mountaintop in 11 to another mountaintop that we'll experience in a couple of weeks when Louis Seifert preaches on Hosea 14, why I don't want to skip over these things is because these are the messages that we need to hear for the moments that life doesn't go the way that we expect it to because God is in the midst of that too. It's why we can take him at his word. It's why we don't remove ourselves from the way that he gives us his grace. What does keep wrestling mean? I keep saying that. What does that mean? Close my eyes tighter, raise my hands higher? No, none of that. It means don't abandon the things of God looking for the things that only God can provide. How about this? Be at church. Be in community groups. Be in the word. Be on your knees. Be in prayer. Engage yourself in praise. Sing songs that lift your eyes from your circumstances. Be around others. Don't withdraw from others in those moments. Find those people that you can be with. Be with them. This is counsel from the word. This is something that is not intended to say, look, if you do all of these things, here's the formula to receive grace. No, it's just the ways that God has given us to be able to receive grace through his word. These are the habits that should be a part of our life. So this is not some formulaic, performative way for us to wrestle with God. This is a way for us to encounter him in the moments that we didn't expect. See, not only would Jesus as our Savior sojourned through Egypt early in his life, he would also become the Passover lamb. He would fulfill the Exodus pattern to redeem his people. Jesus would be the one who provides a place of rest for us by making us the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with his rest and his presence. Jesus gives us a new way to not only have a relationship with Christ, not only have a relationship with God, Jesus gives us a way to have a continuing relationship with God. 
Christ is the one who's going to provide for God's people with spiritual food and drink for, for our sojourn through the desert, in the wilderness, giving us strength to wrestle with him and to receive his grace by the blessing of faith. You know, it's, it's often that we'll act this way. Let me run my life, God. Just leave me alone. How tragic it would be. How devastating it would be if God treated us for one hour like we treat him with all of our lives. We wouldn't be able to handle it. So this is a call to live up to what we've been called to. Live up to the name who gave his life for us to wrestle, to receive the grace in the midst of those moments Our stubbornness, our deceitfulness, our manipulations, our lies to ourselves, or worse, our lies to others, it deserves a blood guilt sentence. But in the midst of that, while we were yet sinners, God sent Christ to take that blood guilt sentence and cleanse it with his blood. Sentence has been pardoned. And that sends us to our own personal encounter, our own jabbok, as it were. Not only to wrestle with God until he blesses us, but to surrender our wills and accept his blessing offered freely because of not jabbok, but another place called Golgotha. That skull-shaped hill, that area we so often just refer to as Calvary because that's where Jesus after living the life that we should have lived, would die the death that we should have died. Do you know why your life looks the way it does? It's because of the grace of God. Because the grace of God has led led you right where you are today. So church, as we stand together, let's be amazed by it yet again.